Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at three things that impede us. Almost like the All Blacks last night, no matter what they tried, there was opposition immediately in their face. It's almost like they, whatever they tried, even the bounce of the ball seemed to go the wrong way, right? Assuming. Now, I'm lucky because I'm a Kiwi, I'm a POM, and I'm a US citizen, so I've got all my bits covered, okay? <laughs> I do hold three passports. The point is that in life, you will find opposition. The first week, I talked about the opposition that you'll find that will try and derail your life inside your heart, and you've already seen that in your own children. You're always correcting them to go the right way. Always. You're never teaching them, this is how to be rude, lesson number one. <laughs> this is how to be selfish, just in case you haven't learned that. But have you noticed all of my four children came out with that innate ability to be selfish and think of themselves first? Perhaps yours did too, if you look at it. This is how to disobey. No, we're always correcting them to be right. So we look the first week, the problem of our flesh of our inability to do what's right all the time because we often are pulled the wrong direction. The second week, we looked at the problem of the world and the world's values. The world's values are going to say, hey, this is what you should be chasing. This is success. Spend all of your life chasing this. Achieving your goals. That's actually exactly the opposite of what Jesus says. Do you know that? He says, that's all. doesn't matter a hill of beans. Nothing in the end. So we talked about how the world pushes its values on you. And you'll see that through the movies. He who has the most money. She who looks the most beautiful. He who is the strongest. They are the ones. That's the things that we should be chasing. So we looked at the torrent of the world and its values last week. Possessions, position, prestige, power. All those things. Now, we looked at and identified them last week. This week, I'm going to quickly look from God's word at how to live faithfully to the end in a faithless world. How to do that. And if you want God's blessing on your life, what I'm trying to say to you is this, very simply in one sentence, you must learn to live faithfully to God, not to another mistress. Actually, that's, that sounds a little... Harsh, doesn't it? Actually, that's what Paul called it. The world is another mistress who's trying to seduce you. Everything around us tries to prevent us from being faithful to God. So I titled the message, How to Live Faithfully in a Faithless World. Luke 18, 8. Jesus asks a very important question. When I come back, this is in the context of the end time when persecution and hardship and suffering and despair and disappointment is at a pinnacle. Feel this. Way more than what the All Blacks felt last night. Way more. This is serious. This is the question. When I, the Son of Man, return, how many will I find on earth who have faith, who haven't given up, wussed out, flaked out? Why is it important to live by faith? First three reasons, and I'm going to tell you what the scriptures say about how to do this. First three reasons why the importance of living by faith. Because number one, God is looking for faithful people. You may find that on your outline. You may want to write that in. God is looking for faithful people, full of faith. Hebrews 11.6, great verse to read the whole thing. It says, those who come to God 
must one, number one, believe that he is, and number two, believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. For without faith, it is impossible. That's a very big word. Impossible to please God without faith. So without faith, you ain't pleasing God. You want to please God, you need to have faith. So absolutely nothing for men and women can please God apart from faith. We can only please Him by continued confidence that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Second Chronicles 16.9, now from the Old Testament, to show this principle as well. For the eyes of the Lord search backward and forward, back and forth across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards Him so they can show His great power in helping them. Same principle in the Old Testament as in the New. Second, faithful people are very hard to find. This is not the masses. They are quite rare. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says everybody talks about how faithful they are or how faithful he is, but it is difficult to find somebody who really is difficult. Many folks talk the talk, but they don't really trust God. It's kind of a mirage. It's a setup. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, Jesus actually says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. Take, for instance, this point here. If people are actively pursuing, when it comes to actively pursuing the life and the ministry and the mission of the Lord that God has called them to do, are they doing that? God's purposes for their lives, are they following them or following their own purposes? Are they, let's take it really, really practical, are they really investing time in training their children? You can have, they can be the best soccer player or rugby player. They can be the best cricketer. How much time, effort, and money do we spend on that? How about education? How much time, effort, and money do we, you make sure you do your homework? But how much, and that is important. But what's more important is to come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because without that, that's not worth a hill of beans. How much time are people investing in their grandchildren? Time, effort, money in moving their grandchildren forward. Does, God, does faithfulness exude in the way people handle money in a godly way? Do people enjoy spending time with him? And what I mean by spending time with him by yourself. I didn't plan to do that today. Do you have something like this? I don't care what yours looks like. Mine's pretty scrappy. Every day, I sit and I write and I write and I write. Because I don't know about you. If I don't write, it goes in one ear and clean out the other. How about you? <laughs> Does anybody else find that? <laughs> now, friends, some of you are just starting. And when I have children... The age of, oh, actually, younger than this one, the age of little Maverick we saw here today. What I do is open up, ah, <laughs> wipe up the mess <laughs> at both ends. <laughs> yeah, both ends, yeah. And I do that when they were little. And that's okay when they're little, but when they get older, they need to chew on some steak. 
which is what this guy likes to do. So you need to spend time <laughs> in the Word of God. How much of your time each day, practical, brass tacks, if we had a replay of last week up there right now, are you engaging in God's Word? Because there's a direct correlation between your spiritual vitality, because God's words are in His Word. If you love God, you'll be loving His words. When I used to get a letter from my girlfriend called Kimberly, let me tell you, I read every jot, tittle, and full stop and comma because I was looking for that meaning and connection with her. Those words are God's words. If we love him, we'll love his words. Do you enjoy time with him? Do you enjoy it? Or is it a yawn? If it's a yawn, that's a cause for concern. We'll talk about that next week. Psalm 53 verse 2. God is looking down from heaven at the children of man to see if a single one is wise and seeks God. But all are proven faithless. There's that word. Faithful, faithless. All have been corrupted. And not one of them always does right. Three, finally in this section, faithfulness is a key to victory and blessing. The Bible says in 1 John 5, Every child of God can defeat the world. That's what we're talking about. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Remember, this is a battle. This is not you don't walk out in your pajamas and your slippers to battle. When I go to war, even on a squash court, I have all my gears all ticked up, ready to go, and I'm ready for a bear. That's an American term, is I'm ready to kill on that court. I'm serious about this. It's a serious affair. This is a battle, and it's our faith that gives us the victory. And this is how you win the battle against the world, so permeated with false, anti-Christian, ungodly teachings. Here it goes. No one can defeat the world without having faith in Jesus as the Son of God. That's how you're going to overcome the world. Not by your brilliance or your intellectual prowess. Not with your money. And not by your creativity but it's by your faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to be able to go against the flow of that title I was talking about, against the riptide, doing God's will in a culture bent on doing its own thing. This is how you're going to be able to overcome difficulties and distress and despair and disappointment in your life, because they will come. So the Bible encourages that every child, every child of God can defeat the world. And it is our faith that gives us the victory. The faithful man will be richly blessed. Now as your pastor, I pray that God will strengthen your faithfulness to him and obviously to his mission, which is why he's got you here in this world. Today, I'm going to wrap this up with six ways to actually practically grow in your faithfulness to God. So that he can bless you. Now the Bible tells us, first of all, number one, God says and God uses little things to test my integrity. Faithfulness requires integrity. Faithful people live out their integrity in small, often unseen, unnoticed acts that nobody else knows about. This is what we're getting to. Luke 16.10 touches on this principle. Whoever is faithful in small matters, small matters, will be faithful in large ones. And whoever is dishonest in small matters where nobody can see, 
nobody knows, will be dishonest in large ones. Now it struck me that I've heard many politicians fall into this realm, many managers. Well, it doesn't really matter what I do in my private life. It has nothing to do with me as a leader, is a line they tend to trot out, right? Friends, it has everything to do with you as a leader. Because a man that lies to his wife lies to his constituents. And if he lies to his best friend, his wife, and who he said till death do his part to, and cheats on her, he will cheat on you as well, the voter. So your ultimate credibility as a person comes from your private integrity. Not only that, but notice the next verse where Jesus says, if you have not been faithful, full of faith, with that which belongs to someone else, who will give you what belongs to you? Now in the context, if you go back this afternoon and read that, Jesus is talking about if one is faithful in his use of money, which is actually lent to him by God, because I owe nothing. Everything I have is, I'm just a manager, for a few skimpy years on this earth. That's all I am. I own nothing. And I know, because I came in with nothing, and guess what I'm going out with? Nothing. I'll just get to kind of manage it for a while, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass some of that on to some other people who are going to manage that for a while. If one is faithful in his use of money, then he can be trusted with far greater things. That's not me saying this. This is Jesus. True riches, which surpass the currency we have, which will go to a value exchange rate zero the moment you step off terra firma. How we handle a little, what we have at our disposal right now, and we think we, some of us think we have a reasonable amount, is nothing compared to the boss. How we handle that little we have at our disposal in this world determines how or whether we will handle much in the realm and the age to come. Referring here specifically to the kingdom spiritual riches of which the disciples who truly belong to him who make it to the end will partake. The truth is here that all material things belong to God. He made them and created all of them. We are merely caretakers with care, stewards, and managers. David says to God in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14, But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have only given you what comes from your hand. That's it. Second way to show faithfulness is God uses my talents to test my unselfishness. Now, I want us carefully look at this. God's faithful people do not live for themselves. It's like if you go to work, you work for the boss. You don't go off doing your own shopping in his time. You're on his mission. You're on his nickel. God's faithful people don't live for themselves. They live for him. They realize that the talents, you have talents, I have talents, you have talents. So do you. You've all got talents. But the question is, whose benefit are you using those talents for? Is it purely for your own ends? Or are you using the talents that God gave you, and you, and you, and you, and you, to make the world a better place? 
because God gave him. Do not mishandle those talents. He, he need, he'll use them often to provide for yourself, but he also wants you to use them for the kingdom's sake, to move his bride forward. All of us have a choice to live for ourselves. That's your choice. That's a choice. Or something far greater that will outlast you this life. The kingdom of God. God shaped you to serve him. How do you serve God? When you serve others, you're serving God. First Peter 4.10, each one of you, everybody in this room, should use whatever gift, whatever it is that you have received, to make a ton of money, retire and die, right? Is that what the scriptures say? No. Use whatever gift you have. Maybe it's making money and property. Maybe it's building houses. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's fixing stuff. Maybe, whatever it may be, maybe it's teaching. Whatever the gift is that you've received, use it to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's different to you, Robert, than it is for me. For you, Selvin, than it is for Simi. Very different. Are you using... Some of you, your affluence for influence. Are you using your position to help God's people and his bride move forward? Doesn't matter what it is that you do. So God gave you talents. There it is in the scripture. And he's watching to see whether you are faithful with them, whether it's to serve, whether it's to lead, whether it's to inspire. Because life, here it is, there's three things life is. Those of you who come here know this well. Life is a test. Life is a trust. And life is a temporary assignment. You only get it for a while. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, not faithless. A steward is expected to act in the interests of his or her master, not on his own interests. Such is the requirement of all stewards, not just some, because their faithfulness will be judged. There's a whole parable about that which we could unpack. So God is watching to see, do I use my time all on me and mine and ours? Do I use my money, which isn't really mine, I just caretake it for a while, my influence, do I use that? Do I use these opportunities for God wisely? That is a question. If you do, then God will reward you. Because there are two great themes in the Bible. Number one is salvation, and number two over here is stewardship. And God, when you get to heaven, is going to ask you just two questions. Number one, what did you do with my son? And number two, what did you do with what you had in your hand? Not somebody else. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about your neighbor or your wife or your husband. Think about you. Because this is a, an individual deal. So God, third test you'll encounter is God uses tough times to test my persistence. God uses tough times to test my persistence. The difference between faithful and unfaithful people is unfaithful people give up at the first sign of difficulty. Right? Faithful people, on the other hand, let's contrast, keep on keeping on when other people quit, when they give up. Faithful people are determined, they are diligent, 
Any other words we can think of here? Dogged? <laughs> Any more Ds? Let me know. Okay? And are persistent. That's what I'm trying to say. Faithful people don't know how to quit. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. This is why we never give up. This is the motivation, the why. Though our bodies are dying, and our spirits, our spirits are being renewed every day, encouraged for our present troubles... And that's talking about pressures and hardship. Anybody had any of those recently? Yeah? Remember those ones? There were pressures uh, uh, for our present troubles. Pressures and hardships are quite small. I'll come back to that in a minute. And won't last very long. But they will produce for us an immeasurable great glory that will last forever. This is amazing because all of his heavy continuous burdens... But he said before, we're light and easy to bear and momentary. Because he just wrote, if you just read back in 2 Corinthians 1.8, his hardships were far beyond his inability to endure, he said. But then again, he said, his, his, uh, the glory that's to come far outweighs them all. So he put them in the right perspective. So he says, so we don't look to the troubles we can see right now. That's the problems. Anybody, some of you here can see problems right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not seen. That's a reward for persevering. For the troubles we will see will soon be over. And the joys to come will last forever. That's awesome. So life for Christians in this fallen world. Now let me be really clear and look you in the eye. In this world, you will have a mixture of battles and blessings. There will be, be a mixture of joy and sorrow, of suffering and triumph, triumph and tragedy. But faithful people persevere in faith in the middle of their affliction. They're strong in the grace, beautiful word, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they're able to suffer hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 9, he says, don't get tired of doing what's right. You will be rewarded when the time is right if, and this is a big if, if you don't give up. If you don't give up. You need to memorize that verse because God will use tough times to test your persistence. So faithful Christians draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit when they are weary and they keep on doing good and they trust God for the results. Number four. God uses shortages to test my generosity. Shortages. Old Testament and New Testament example. Faithful people are generous even when they don't have that time to give. Luke 21 verse 1. And he looked up. This has struck me over the, over the years, this snapshot. He looks up. And Jesus saw the rich putting in their gifts into the temple treasury. In this case, he also saw a poor widow. A poor widow, and he, who put two very small copper coins and said, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking. This poor widow put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts, look what he says, out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, I've found that anybody can be generous in flush times when they have a surplus. I can be very generous with my time when I've got lots of extra time, right? Oh, easy. Oh, tons of time. I can be generous with my money when I've got extra money. 
floating around. I can be generous, here's another one, with my energy. When I'm feeling like, man, I've got energy to burn. It's when I don't have enough time for me and my family and my stuff and my priorities and my projects. I don't have enough money for me. When I don't have enough energy to just get through the day. <laughs> That's when God says, this is a test. And I'm watching to see, will you be faithful and trust me? Now here, Jesus highlights a poor widow who gave and trusted God to care of her needs. Another great example of people giving in the middle of need. One more New Testament, one in the Old Testament. People in the church in Macedonia were singled out, being generous in the middle of their shortage. On the screen, 2 Corinthians 8.2, though they have been going through severe troubles, read famine. And very hard times, out of their extreme poverty, has flowed extreme generosity and overwhelming joy. You know, some of the missions team that just went to Uganda experienced some of this. Some of these people had nothing, and yet they gave embarrassingly of their time and effort and treasure. One of the key tests of your faithfulness bottom line. Some people take this ridiculously. I'm not. I'm just reading what Jesus said. Is how you handle your finances. Jesus put it this way. Luke 16, 9. I tell you, use your worldly resources how? To slap up it all for you in a rainy day when you die? doesn't say that. This is Jesus. He says, I tell you, use your worldly resources how? To benefit others. Are you doing that? How you do this between you and God, but are you doing that? To benefit others, and the last part of the sentence is, and make friends for eternity. In other words, invest in things that are going to get people to heaven. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. But, why did he put that but in that sentence? Because people have a choice. But, Unfaithful, if you're unfaithful with your worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? You cannot serve God money. That doesn't mean to say you can't have money. There's nothing wrong with money. The problem is, is if you have money, that's okay. But if money has you, that's not okay. That's what he's saying there. Don't get that out of balance. The disciples' wise use of wealth would help lead others to believe the message of the kingdom. That's what matters for eternity. Bring them to accept that message. Godly management, money management is not just a good idea. It is God's will. So what does that mean? For some of you in this room, God's word to you today is quit getting in debt. Stop it. Stop spending impulsively. Because you'll never have enough. Number one, to provide for yourself and also to give and help others. Quit spending excessively. That's part of it. Invest wisely. You need to invest. That's what we've done a whole message series on that. This is all part of the whole counsel of God. Get out of debt. Invest wisely, but don't stop there. Otherwise, you get into the, the syndrome of the guy who just built bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger barns. Be careful, because there's more to it. Don't stop there. Give liberally. Share generously. 
And that's not just a good idea. It's a spiritual test. And God says, if you're not faithful in how you handle the money that I've given you on this earth, how can you be trusted with true spiritual blessings in heaven? End of thought. It is always a test of faith. One more stunning example. This time from the Old Testament. You should go back and read this. I read it again this morning. Second Kings 4.4. Elisha goes to the widow. And she gives what she had. And you see again how the Lord moved on that. I'll leave that there. Number five. Faithful people. Bring friends to Jesus. Faithful people. So here we are. Here's your house. Right here. Imagine around you. This is you in the middle. Around you, let's say you have four other neighbors. One, two, three, four. Do you know their names? Have you had them over for just a cup of tea? Nothing else? Not to convert them? Just have a cup of tea. Guess what? Christmas is coming. It's a great time to have them over. We plan. We've got a, we've got a whole deal with our neighbors coming over. If you don't even talk to them, how can you even share? Faithful people share their faith. They bring others to the faith. Now, some of you have been Christians a long time, and you go, yeah, I've got this. Okay, the question is, are you doing it? If I don't share my faith, it will be like me having the cure for cancer and not sharing it with you. Cancer only takes in care of this world. I'm talking about something that will fix it for eternity. It will be horrendous of me not to share the best news in the world. I'll be being ultimately very selfish if I don't share my faith, I will be unfaithful because that's what Jesus asked me to do. Share my faith. Some great, great example of some friends who have a friend who is paralyzed. Remember the story? You'll find them in Matthew 9. Some men brought Jesus a paralytic friend lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Take heart, son, your sons are forgiven. Sins are forgiven. So church, friends, remember you have friends that right now couldn't come to church unless you bring them. You have friends that are paralyzed with confusion and guilt and depression and doubt. And the only way they're going to get to Jesus is if you bring them. Don't sidewind it to the guy down the road he's put you where you live because he knows who's right next to you you are the ambassador for Christ the light on the hill in the neighborhood and they will get healed of their terminal condition only if they have Christ and he will bless you for your faithfulness. So faithful people bring friends to Jesus. That's why we want to keep on reaching out. That's why Joshua and the team are winding up for Christmas Wonder Park. If you're not ready to bring that, bring them to CWP, which is coming up really soon. Number six, one last principle. Faithful people build the faith of others. This is... The, uh, the purpose of discipleship. Simply encouraging somebody in the faith. And God calls all of us to do that. Everybody in their life needs a Paul to encourage them. Someone older in the faith. And also, everybody needs a Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.2. Two. The, the things you have learned from me, 
in the presence of many witnesses, you are to entrust to faithful people who will also be qualified to pass it on to others. See that passing of the baton modeled by Paul? Friends, the reason why we do that is it's wise to learn from experience. It's much smarter to learn from the experience of others and the mistakes of others. You don't have enough time and it's way too expensive to make all the mistakes yourself. huh? It's much faster to learn from others. So friends, don't waste your hurts. Help them to use the next generation, uh, uh, to help them to move the next generation forward and God will use them. And sometimes we make an excuse on this one. We say, well, I have stuffed up so much in my life. I've messed up so much. As friends, the thing is, and I want you to get this really clearly, you do not have to be perfect to be a mentor. It's insightful to me that there are the 12 disciples, there's two more down there, okay, 12 disciples, God chose Peter, arguably the biggest failure of the lot to be the leader of the church. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times? Look at this, Luke 22, as we finish up. Verse 31, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. That means, like, have a severe trial, a test. Echoes of the time when Satan asked God's permission to test Job. Just remember that. Satan is not running around willy-nilly. He has to get permission. He's put in a sandbox, and he cannot go outside that. So every test that comes your way has already gone past the boss's desk. But I am praying for you that your faith will not completely fail. Notice what Jesus prayed for. Very insightful. He prayed for his faith, not the removal of his test. You and I, God, get me out of this. Huh? Take this away, I hurt. Huh? That's how we pray. Remove the test from me. Jesus doesn't do that. Look for yourself. He prays that their faith would not fail and it would grow. So after, why? So after you have repented, see he already knew he's going to screw up. After you have repented and turned around. You cannot say you've repented from sin unless you've turned around and walked the other way. You're kidding yourself. So after you've repented and turned to me, clearly Jesus knew Peter would wobble. But he was confident that he would turn to Jesus again. Then what he says, here's the instruction. When you've repented and turned back to me, this is what you're to do. You are to strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. So yes, you have royally stuffed up here. But don't, let, don't stay there. Turn around, repent, and then build up the faith of your brothers. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And 1 Peter deals entirely with the subject of encouragement for believers who are undergoing trials and difficulties. And friends, we know that Peter became an incredible source of strength to many who needed it. It was actually Peter's words that were in the book of Mark, written by John Mark. So the words are Peter's, that's the source of the truth there, and John Mark is writing it, that's the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark. Who better to offer encouragement to those being tested in their faith than Peter? Man, what a bummer. B blowing Jesus off, struggling with depression, than those who've come through depression and come out victorious. 
Who better to offer encouragement to fight with the addictions of alcoholism or, or as you saw with Pat, drug addiction, to overcome it by the power of God's spirit healing their parts? And I just want to clear up one last thing on that one. Do you have a name that you're investing in? Do you have a name of somebody who's investing in you? I'm blessed I have five men in my life. I just lost one recently. Norm Geisler. He was my theological mentor. I have mentors for different things. Advisors. Do you have people that you go to spiritually? And then are people coming to you? Who are you? Who is coming to you so that you can share with your experience and your pain? Your pain will actually be more attractive than your successes because people tend to go, ooh, I could never do that. But when you share your pain, you draw them closer. When you encourage others by faith, there are two types. We'll finish with this. One is very unstructured. We have a cup of coffee. And I learn about what's happening in your job, how it's going with your wife, your children, your grandchildren. And we, it's from life, but we're looking to apply biblical principles and to see, just to, to build a friendship, to share good counsel. And the other one is more of a structured study scenario. Whatever works, but have somebody in your life that you can share the goodness of God with. Let's pray. Would you just follow me in your mind as I pray and for you? Father, I know this morning from your word clearly that you are looking for people who are faithful. You're looking for faithful people, Lord, that you want to bless. And Lord, your word says that people of real faith are hard to find. Yet you have said faithfulness is the key to blessing, the key to victory, and that a faithful man, a faithful woman will be richly blessed. Father, I want these people in our church family to be richly blessed by you. So help us to respond to the tests of faith that the way that we ought to respond, that would delight your heart. Now you pray in your heart. In your heart and in your mind, would you say this? God, please use the little things in my life to grow my integrity. The stuff that nobody sees. Help me to be faithful in that which isn't my own. So that you can give me of my own. God, you've been so good to us. You've given us so many different talents and abilities would you use them to grow my unselfishness? Help me use them for your bride's sake. Help me to realize that my giftedness and my abilities are not for my own benefit, but to make the world a better place and to help others in your name. And Lord, in the times when things are really tough and it's confusing, I ask you, to grow my persistence. Help me not to give up, but to rely on the power of your Holy Spirit to keep on keeping on. Help me not to look at the problem and be overwhelmed by the darkness of it, but to look to the reward in heaven for growing in character. 
Father, help me to grow in generosity through the shortages of my life. To be generous when I can't seem to afford it with my time unpacked, my schedule's too jammed. And with my praise as well. Help me to be generous with my praise. Help me to be generous in affirming others who I so often take for granted. To be generous with your money for your purposes. To be generous with my love. To be generous not with criticism but with praise and gratitude. I want to learn to be generous in every area of my life because you are unbelievably generous, Lord. I want to obey your vision and rely on your provision and generosity to me. And Lord, sometimes when there's a delay between what you've promised, the seed and the harvest, help me to realize that you're still testing my faith. Father, I want my blessing, your blessing on my family because, man, we need it. On my business, on my life, on my mentoring relationships, help me to be faithful to bring others to you, to bring my friends to Jesus who are paralyzed and probably won't come here unless you bring them. Help me to build the faith of others. I'm willing to be a mentor, Lord, for you. Just show me who to invest and help me get some traction in this area. I want to be faithful with the blessing you've given me in my life. May I pass it on to others. Today, if you never invited Jesus Christ into your life, just ask him to say, Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. I've fallen foul of my own expectations let alone yours Lord thank you for dying on the cross for my sin as I repent and turn from my sin I accept your gift of forgiveness for my sin and life everlasting I put my faith in you in Jesus name Amen